Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, today, we have a uh, special coming up on the TV show with Glenn, where he's going to be addressing uh, this plan to deal with a pandemic in which you kind of see the outline of what has happened over the past month or so and what could happen in the future. This is all uh, something that was uh, discussed in advance. Um, and with this going on, we need to understand what the approach is going to be by the people making these decisions. A lot of scary stuff in this. Uh, it's going to be on Glenn's TV show tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn is the place to go. You use the promo code Glenn and you'll save 30 bucks. You also get access to all of the uh, other episodes of the show, as well as my show, Stu Does America, Pat Gray Unleashed, all the shows you know and love at Blaze TV. Uh, today, we have, uh, Glenn goes into some of this stuff that's going on with the World Health Organization and all of the shadiness that is involved in the way they've handled this thing. We're really in the sort of situation where it's a great idea to stop their funding. Um, and, and they really, can they be trusted? It seems like the answer to that is no. We have uh, one of my favorite authors, Matt Ridley, on the show, who is talking about how innovation can actually get us out of this uh, and how the National Health Service in Britain is, as you'd expect, screwing this up. Greg Abbott is the governor of Texas. He was the first governor in America to say, you know what, here we go. Time to uh, open up the economy. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, He comes on to talk about the plans for Texas. And they apply to states all over the country who are trying to figure out how to open things up in this environment. And uh, another update about Chris Cuomo uh, and CNN, the way they're handling his disgraceful situation. We'll get to that all on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. This is the Glenn Beck program. There is a couple of really, I think, good news, but I want to talk to uh, Stu about it. Also, our guest, Matt Ridley, coming up in about a half an hour. Um, he is, he's made his money <laughs> on being a skeptic. Uh, in fact, he's one of fav- Stu's favorite people because he questions absolutely everything. And I remember the morning when Stu came in and said, I think this is real, this, we should be concerned about this. And I said, why? And he said, because Matt Ridley just said, I'm, I, I question everything. I don't think any of this stuff is real. Coronavirus is real. Um, but there's some good news. We're going to talk to him about the 55, uh, 55, is it million, Stu? 55 million people. What was it out of California? Or oh, 55 times, times bigger. Mm-hmm. More people, mm-hmm. yeah, to 55 times uh, more people were infected in L.A. County uh, than previously thought. That's really, really good news. Uh, and we'll tell you why coming up in, in just a second. Right now, um, I, I, I want to talk to um, Todd Staples. Todd Staples is the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association. He has also been appointed by our governor uh, on the strike force to open Texas up. 
Uh, and so we wanted to talk to him a little bit about oil, what that means for everybody around the country, what it means to America strategically, uh, and what we should do, and how our, what should states be doing, and what are the metrics they're using so we know when we're going to open up a little bit more. Welcome to the program, Todd. How are you? I'm great, Glenn. Glad to be back on your show, and thanks for what you do for our country. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, all right, so let's start with, with oil and gas. For the first time, America is energy independent. We are, we are exporting more than we import, which is fantastic news. Uh, however, with that being said, now our oil industry is on the verge of collapse, we're told. What do we do? What should we be doing? Well, producers are doing exactly what they need to be doing. The market is reacting reacting appropriately to these uh, catastrophic circumstances. Producers are limiting production. They are looking at the markets and making certain that they are the ones that are making the decisions for their operations. And quite frankly, we don't need government to step in and, and to develop a North American OPEC. That's not the answer because producers can respond appropriately. Okay, so you don't think Texas should tell the Texas oil producers, throttle back? That's right. You're saying we they're already doing it. They are. Our, our companies have already announced over $50 billion in capital expenditure reductions that were planned for 2020, that because of the dynamic shock that we've had to demand, because of stopping global commerce, uh, and, and look, we know in Texas that if it costs you $8 a pound to make barbecue and you sell it for $4 a pound, you don't need government to tell you to stop <laughs> making barbecue. You can kind of figure that out yourself. And that's what our producers are doing. And we believe, Glenn, that is the most and best way to restore our economy, to get oil and gas back moving again and employing you know, thousands and thousands of Texans, is to allow operators to look at their assets, look at their contractual obligations, and to make those decisions. Now, it's not to say that there are – these are horrific circumstances. When you have all that – trades for negative values like we saw a couple of days ago, uh, that's scary stuff, right? But you don't need to react. You need to respond appropriately, and that's what our producers are doing to get through this extremely difficult time. Okay. Is it true that Russia was targeting our oil and gas industry uh, and trying to collapse us? Well, so let's talk about the global picture for a minute. That's a, that's a great question. A lot of people believe that Russia and the, the, the foreign powers' overproduction was an attempt to gain back market share that U.S. Okay. energy producers have captured. I mean, look, because of innovation and technology, the U.S. has been the powerhouse. We, As you mentioned, we are at a new level of national security because of energy security. And it is contemplated that foreign global producers wanted to uh, regain some of that market share. And so they planned to, uh, because the Saudis and Russians got in a tiff, they were fighting amongst one another. And it would certainly, their actions would negatively impact U.S. producers. They so didn't plan on COVID-19. It, it is it is uh, accurate, however, to say that the last time we had trouble in America, we 
retooled. We reinvented. We we reinvented the way we drill and the way we pull oil from the ground. So the last time we had uh, we had trouble, we reinvented while they just bailed themselves out because they're government owned. And is that what you're trying to avoid here, Todd? Glenn, that's exactly right. In the 1980s, those of us that lived through that, we remember the job losses, the dr- drastic loss of value. We didn't go to the government and say, bail us out. We hunkered down. We reinvented. In the 2008, that occurred again. In 2014, right. 2015 time period, 70% drop in prices. And because of innovation, hydraulic fracturing, uh, Texas and America is the incubator for ideas because of our free enterprise system. And our philosophy is don't abandon that now in a time of crisis. Let's go stronger through this, as difficult as it's going to be. So the federal government has been saying now they're, they're, they've got another stimulus package. And uh, the Democrats said uh, last night, this is just the beginning. There's a lot more where that came from. Uh, I don't know where they're getting it. The cupboard seems to be a little bare, but um, there there is a problem with people paying their rent and getting food, et cetera, et cetera, and businesses staying afloat. But the real problem is not a shortage of money. It's a shortage of commerce. So you're on the task force to open the country back up or to open Texas back up. What are the metrics that you're looking at that will keep us safe but also get us back to work? Well, we appreciate Governor Abbott's leadership and focus on getting this economy moving again. You're exactly right. When we, you normally use 100 million barrels a day in the world, and that drops to 80 million barrels a day, there's, there's nothing that can fix that except getting the economy going back again. And so what the oil and natural gas industry is doing is looking at operational procedures that we need flexibility on in order to manage through the crisis and to restart our sector of the economy. Things like uh, permits, getting extensions from the regulatory agency. We want to be very careful Mm -hmm. that we do not compromise safety. We don't want to compromise environmental standards. Our industry spends more than any other industry or the government combined on uh, innovative procedures. And so we're looking at things that can be done to help managers manage their assets the way they know to by looking at flexibility in government uh, permits and regulatory programs so that we can get through this this system and get back to going as quickly as we can. We also know that critical infrastructure, many of our field operations have been exempted, but the back office efforts, the planning and the strategy and the promotion, they have been curtailed. We need to get them back to work maintain social distancing, use good, uh, uh, you know, protocols in terms of uh, making certain masks and gloves and all these kind of things. But those are the types of things that we'll be recommending to the governor. And I think he's got another press conference for Monday, and we're we're hopeful that we'll have some more leniency uh, pretty soon. Yeah, he's going to be on with us in about an hour and 15 minutes. So we'll we'll talk to him a little bit more about that. Um, The 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 one thing that i'm concerned with the oil industry is uh these are the kinds of times that you know nations go to war in i'm not predicting one i don't want one i think it could be the worst thing that could ever happen to us if we go to a global war um however these this is when people are backed into a corner this is what happens um and i i i am very concerned that our oil industry 
is not damaged long term uh, that we would be able to be energy independent is there any concern i mean one of the oil ceos just said we're going to disappear like the coal industry I think that concern is valid. I think ensuring that we have a domestic energy supply so that we can have energy independence is vital. But let's look at the facts here. The infrastructure that we have in the state of Texas alone, our pipelines, our ports, our refiners, our LNG export facilities that's moving clean natural gas all around the world to improve air quality, uh, is right here in Texas. We know that our refining capacity, the ability to move product through our pipelines, the ability to access uh, markets around the globe, our ports, our infrastructure is here. Now, are, are they, is it a very valid concern about the future of this industry? You bet it is. And we know that uh, uncertainty is the, is the enemy of recovery. And so we need stable policies. We need tax policy that is not punitive. We need science-based regulatory approaches, and we need to not react in a way to get government to put its tentacles further into this industry by mandating the level of production because the market can react much quicker than a government body can. And let's think about it, Glenn. How likely is it that Texas can coordinate with North Dakota and Oklahoma, and, and, and can we get all producing states? No. And so will all producing states have the same regulatory schemes that Texas would have? That would be very difficult, and it would be more difficult to enforce and ensure compliance. And so we think yeah. uh, making certain the fundamentals are there where we can grow and to make certain – look, we know that monetary policy is – is important, right? We know uh, access to, to capital. We need to make certain our federal government is focused on those things. And, and look, they need to be very cautious in dealing with our trading partners to make certain they're not flooding the, the markets. And, and those are things that will all make a difference, we think. Okay, I'm up against a network break, so I just need a quick answer on this one. But uh, Tuesday, um, they uh, are going to, the Texas Railway Con- Commission is going gonna, is gonna to delay their decision on uh, what's called pro-ration, which is what you're talking about. Do you think we're past that government stepping in and saying uh, we need everybody to work together and and uh, and start to fall in line with the government? I'm afraid there is incredible pressure from some on the commission for the commission to take action. We firmly believe pro-ration would make matters worse, not better. And our message is we need to focus on recovery, not on creating a cartel. So the, the pressure's not over, okay. and the decisions haven't been made yet. There's three commissioners, and um, we appreciate the fact that they have not unnecessarily intervened, and we just need to get them focused on recovery. So we're not out of the woods, even in the Lone Star State here on the, the day after we um, celebrated the Battle of San Jacinto, where we won our independence, we're thinking about becoming dependent again, and that's the wrong move in our opinion. Todd, thank you very much. I really appreciate your your free market uh, attitude and your aversion uh, to government, uh, state, local, federal, or whatever, getting involved in making free market decisions. Keep it up. If there's anything we could do to help you, you just let us know. Glenn, you're the best. Thanks a bunch for letting me thank be you. on. You bet. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program, and we really want to thank you for listening.
We're skipping our coronavirus update because I think we have a much more important update. We have Governor Greg Abbott from uh, the great state of Texas on with us. He is the 48th governor of Texas and my favorite governor that I have ever, I've lived all over the country. I think this, this guy is the best I've ever seen, a native Texan and the first guy to try to open up uh, a state. Governor, uh, governor Abbott, how are you, sir? Doing terrific. We are excited about getting Texas open back up, but open in a safe way so that we will continue to protect the safety of everybody and reduce the spread of COVID-19. But we know that we can open up so many businesses in the state of Texas and get people back to working. Uh, We can protect both lives and livelihoods at the very same time. So, Governor, I know you have to say those things, um, but not to this audience, uh, because I, I hate this. I hate this argument that's going on right now, that if you want to open things up, you just want everybody to die uh, because you love money. No, there, there is a balance. There is a balance. We can't kill the, you know, it's, it's like chemotherapy. Us staying at home is chemotherapy. We want it to kill the cancer, but we can't give too much of it or kill the whole body. So what are the tripwires that you are looking at that will allow us to open up more and more? One of the tripwires is making sure that we continue to have a a downward trend in the number of people who test positive for COVID-19. We hit our high water mark about 13 days ago on April the 9th. I haven't done the math, but that's about 12 or 13 days ago. And that was the only day in the state of Texas where we had more than 1,000 people test positive. But I will tell you, more important than that are the numbers about uh, the number of people who are in hospitals. And that number, even though we've had more people test positive for COVID-19, the number of people in hospitals has remained pretty much flat. And Texas, uh, even though we've had too many people pass away, Texas pretty much has the lowest uh, rate of fatalities related to COVID-19 in the country. And so we, why do you think we, that is? Most important, you know, it's, it's a great question because the, 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 disparity, the disparity is so wide. We, we're, we're second best in the nation for the number of let me Let me give these numbers because they are, they are amazing. New York, 989 deaths per million. Over the entire U.S., 131 deaths per million. Texas, 17 deaths per million. Right. And so uh, and there in in one day in New York, uh, there were far more people who lost their lives uh, than we've had uh, during this entire pandemic in the state of Texas. And uh, our goal is to make sure we keep it that way. Uh, and here's here's something important for you and your audience to know. And that is Texans have done a good job in slowing the spread. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the coronavirus has departed the state of Texas. As we begin the process of opening up, we must maintain these distancing practices that have led to great success in the state of Texas. Here's, here's the deal. If you've gone grocery shopping or whatever the case may be, you, you know that you've, you've gone to the store and you've been able to do that without spreading the coronavirus. We want people, as, as they begin to go uh, to the hair salon or as they begin to go to restaurants or as they begin to go to a movie theater, whatever they may be doing uh, as we begin to open up businesses, maintain those safe, healthy distancing practices so that we can ensure that we can open up without spreading the coronavirus. So if you see the numbers start to go up again, are we going backwards? Are we going to close things again? 
Here's here's what doctors and infectious disease experts have said, and that is when you open back up, you do need to expect some level of increase in the infection rate. What matters right. is not so much what the infection rate is. Again, what matters the most is the number of people who are hospitalized and the number of people okay. who are losing their lives. Understand this very important fact, uh, and, and that is of the people who have lost their lives, uh, most uh, are over 50% are over the age of 75. And what we need to do is we need to protect our most vulnerable population, many of whom are in nursing homes. And so we have stricter standards for nursing homes to make sure right. that COVID-19 is not being imported into nursing homes. And if we, if we can safeguard our seniors in Texas, we can do a terrific job at minimizing the loss of life. So I'm really concerned, Governor, uh, about our southern border um, because Mexico and and many Latin American com- countries are they have not hit a peak yet. And it is I think it's Ecuador is the numbers are off the charts uh, and there will be a movement, I would think, to come to America, especially Texas, where it's it's good. Uh, I know I would do that if if nobody was watching the border and I needed to get my family to someplace safe or get some medical care. Uh, what are we planning on doing on the border? They're already they're calling everybody a xenophobe if you do this. But if there is a crisis on our border, the left is going to pound uh, us uh, on uh, how we're not letting these people in for health care. What are we thinking no one has let up on watching the border. I stay in contact with the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety that has a high level of involvement of watching the border. Uh, we have a sign in the Texas budget, uh, 500 Texas Department of Public Safety officers to be involved in border security-related missions. And then on top of that, I have been in conversations with uh, federal leaders about what's going on on the border. And what's happening is uh, cross-border traffic has dwindled to just a trickle right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's been a long, long time uh, since we've had as Mm -hmm. few people coming across the border as there is right now. That said, we, we will always remain vigilant, making sure that, for one, the laws are applied. But second, we want to make sure that there's not going to be uh, any cross-border importation of COVID-19 into mm-hmm. our border counties. So so far, has remained good, but as usual, we're going to stay on top of it. Um, do you see the schools opening up this fall? Are you concerned about a rebound uh, in a new flu season? Again, all all the talk is uh, from all the uh, doctors uh, that it, there could very well be a rebound until uh, there is a vaccine for this. Uh, and what what's going to happen, however, however, between now and the school year, is there will be a medication that will come out uh, that people can take that will treat COVID-19. So right now, if you have COVID-19, there's no FDA-approved drug that will help you be able to take a medication that will help you overcome COVID-19. However, uh, before the school year begins, that should be available uh, in mass scale. And we need to see how well that works, how well it diminishes it. And and again, the, the, the population that typically goes to school is at lower risk. Our goal is to be able to open schools in the fall, but we simply will not be able to make that call until we get closer to that time period. 
How how are the government's uh, finances here in Texas? I know these states that had these unbelievable uh, retirement programs, they've they've all been crashing for a long time. And I think they're using this to grab some as much federal cash as they can for these collapsing states. How are we financially? Well, listen, our revenues are down uh, for the state. Uh, our revenues, uh, our, our number one revenue is sales tax revenue, which, of course, is down. And we also have revenue coming in uh, from oil and gas severance tax, which, of course, is down. Uh, and so our, our, our revenues pensions? are st- uh, our pensions are not as challenged as what you see in some other states like Illinois, New Jersey, New York, et cetera, California. And so we, we will not be as challenged in that regard. And so we're, we're going to be okay with regard to our pensions. We, we need just to uh, weather this immediate storm, and then we can figure out uh, where we are uh, on our finances as you know, as you were kind of talking about uh, in your lead-up to it, and that is there, there's been uh, a tidal wave of financial support coming in from the federal government, some of which are, is going to the states, some of which is going to local governments, uh, in part to fill uh, holes because of lack of revenue. And we need to see what that will total. Uh, as you know, we have a multi-billion dollar rainy day fund in the state of Texas that we will be able uh, to tap into to help uh, address any type of budgetary shortfall. And it, right now, uh, we simply are are not able to figure out the math of what our shortfall may be uh, as we continue to figure out what the cost and the extent to which these costs will be reimbursed by the money coming in from Washington, D.C. I have so many questions. I know you have to run. Let me ask one more question. Um, sure. And that is, uh, Texas is, I mean, I moved to Texas because it's the freest state. Uh, and I hope we're doing things that we're going to, um, you know, ease some of the restrictions on businesses so they have an easier time opening uh, back up. Um, but one of the things that has really disturbed me is, for instance, I live in Dallas. Police officers now have the authority to stop people to check the, if they are essential workers uh, just dr- or they're just people driving around. What is that? Why can't we drive around? Don't you think some of these restrictions are ridiculous? Well, uh, by law, uh, the, the, w- when we are in a time of disaster, uh, it's, the, it's the governor's disaster declaration uh, that has the uh, supremacy power uh, over local uh, disaster regulations. And, and as a result, uh, for one, uh, under my disaster declaration, you are uh, free to drive around wherever you want to. For another, uh, I'm going to be announcing uh, another declaration that opens up uh, so many businesses across the state of Texas. And uh, that will be the law in the state of Texas, and every county will be required to follow that law. And so we will be injecting a whole lot of freedom. But I will tell you this along the lines of what you're talking about, and that is uh, another thing that happens in, in disaster declarations is uh, we we waive this regulation or that regulation, uh, injecting mm-hmm. a whole lot more freedom uh, and ease right. of doing business. Uh, and a lot of people are saying, you know what, this has worked so well, uh, we just need to continue on even after this disaster uh, to, to do away with those regulations uh, and make sure we have even more freedom in the great state of Texas. Right. I would I'd love to see those and discuss those uh, with the audience, not necessarily with you, but I'd love to see them because that's the direction that we uh, 
we should be going. Um, Governor, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your time. Appreciate all your hard work. I know this has been a stressful time for you and everybody on the staff, uh, but thank you for, uh, for the job that you are doing. Governor Greg Abbott. Well, good day, Glenn. Thank you, Glenn. The best of the Glenn Beck program. This is the Glenn Beck program. One of the things that I think Donald Trump really needs to get a handle on uh, and and make sure that he is uh, out front on this is the PPP, the the mom and pop shops. The the small businesses of America are the ones that provide 48 percent of the jobs in America. Uh, And when you have. When you have these huge companies, which I would deem as huge, I mean, you know, if you're a if you're a half a billion dollar company, I think you're big. You know, you're not the pizza place and the pizza place uh, should have equal footing with everybody else when it's coming in line. In fact, I think some of these mom and pops, if we're not if we're not helping the entrepreneur you will lose the next line of entrepreneurs. And that is what makes us uh, different. You know, you have Fiesta Restaurant Group. Um, They employ 10,000 people. Okay, so they got a loan of $10 million. Now, Fiesta Restaurant Group, let me look up what do you, let me see if I can jump on here and see what that is. Uh, The Fiesta Group, no, no, it just sends me to their stock. And their stock is crashing. It's like a um, Pollo Tropical, are, Taco Cabana, uh, several of in that okay. realm. Okay, so at least 75 companies that have received the aid were publicly traded and received a combined $300 million in low-interest taxpayer-based loans. Okay, I think these are big businesses, but what are we doing for the, the little guys? So there's this toll. Did you see the list of the of the public companies, the big publicly traded companies that were helped out? I've I've Still. seen uh, bits and pieces. Some of the companies, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I know Stake. Uh, excuse me, Shake Shack was one we talked about earlier this week, and they actually were yeah. returning their. They loan. gave the money back. Yeah, and and yeah, it, it's they not. Should. Like, look, I understand that there's differences. If you're a franchise owner and you own one of these places, you are running a small business, and the concept is. You know, look, uh, I've got a location. I've only employ, you know, 30 or 40 people in this location. Well, I am a small business, just like another small business with that same size. But under that big umbrella, it's definitely not what the average person pictured when they talked about small business loans. And you wonder if there's a better way to go through the larger corporation for some of that stuff. Right. So if McDonald's is getting a small business loan, I have a problem with it. But if my local guy... Mm-hmm. filed with a local bank and he owns a mcdonald's that's totally different but mcdonald's as a corporation should not be standing in line with everybody else because mcdonald's is always going to get to the front of the line you know so they have an advantage when they go to the front when when they are employing so many people that's not a small business the local mcdonald's is a small business and if it's locally owned i understand that Starbucks, if Starbucks goes and, and files for, uh, you know, a loan as a small business, excuse me, no. But my local Starbucks is a franchise. That guy only makes money two days out of 30. 
So he's not going to be able to keep that open. So, yeah, I want to help him keep his doors open, but I don't necessarily want to help Starbucks. Does that make sense? Of course. And that's not what anyone thought of when they, talk, they talked about this uh, thing, you know, when it was approved. I think everyone recognizes, people think of like, okay, I've got a, a guy, you know, there was a story I heard yesterday of a guy who dumped his life savings into opening a restaurant in January. That oh, sucks um, in a major way. And it's like, well, that person, it's totally not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. They were asked by the government to go out of business, basically. Uh, So, of course, those are the types of people that if we're going to comply with these policies in a short-term basis until we can get things restarted and understand this thing and build up our PPE and all those other things, then it makes sense to offer them some sort of compensation to get them through this time so they can hopefully keep their employees uh, employed and everything else. But I will bet you that that guy gets nothing. Well, yeah. I'll bet you that guy goes in for a loan and he doesn't have 12 months of records. Yeah. So he doesn't have any business uh, record to show that he would have succeeded. So he, I, I can guarantee you that guy's just out. And that's just, just one, out. one that's part of it. Right. You know, we know a lot of small business owners across the country that we've dealt with over the years. And so many of them I've heard from that say basically version of the same story, which is if you went to the bank all the time and had a relationship with a specific banker and you did business there all the time, you got in front of the line. If you were a business that was running on cash flow and didn't need loans from the bank all the time, well, then uh-huh. you didn't have a relationship like that and you were not able to get in line. And, and a lot of those people got uh, you know, tossed out of the program. Now, they did approve all this new money. Maybe we'll see that get solved here we'll with a second batch. Uh, I'm never optimistic with a government program, though. Never, never optimistic on that. Uh, by the way, who thinks Harvard should get $9 million of federal aid? Oh, come on. Harvard? Harvard. They've got a multi... Harvard. They have a $30 billion endowment, right? Or more? No, no, no. It's, no, no, no. It's, it's $41 billion. <laughs> oh, sorry. $41 billion in their endowment, and they came and had their handout for $9 million, and they say they can't make it without it. Oh, come on. Excuse me? That, that, that is like, that's like Bill Gates coming and saying, I need a bailout. I'm sorry, I need a bailout. You know, Richard Branson is looking for a bailout right now. But at least Richard Branson is putting his island and all of his assets up as collateral. I don't mind if you need, a, if you need to go get a loan and you're willing to put your assets up for uh, collateral and you're a billionaire. Okay. Well, at least you got skin in the game. Harvard needs $10 million from us when they have $41 billion in their trust fund? I don't think so. Mm-mm. I don't think so. I don't think so. They should be able to run that place just on the interest being generated uh, from, uh, or, uh, you know, the investment income being generated uh, from that. I mean, there's no, there's no reason for us to be ever giving them another dime in any circumstance when you have a $43 billion endowment. So the Ivy League is comprised of eight elite private colleges that control endowments with a combined value of over $140 billion. $140 billion as of last year. Five of the schools reported operational surpluses of over $200 million in their last financial statement. 
And eight of these schools are now set to receive $61 million from you, from you. Your kids are never going to go to Harvard. Your kids are most likely never going to go to Princeton. They're never going to go to these Ivy League schools. They have $140 billion in cash reserves right now. And they came and, and they made $200 million in profit that they could just put off to the side just last year. And they're crying poor mouth today. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean, is there no sh- Well, no, there's not. There's no shame. There's absolutely no shame. Should point out that my kids are smarter than everyone else's kids, so they may very well go to Harvard or Princeton. So I'm to make sure America knows that. I just want you to know, even if my kids were smart enough, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sending them. No, I no am kidding. Not uh, sending. Especially them. with this stuff going on. I mean, you know, you you see how it turns kids. Uh, you know, I don't know foundations inside out. Uh, almost all colleges seem to do that these days. But there's no need for this, right? And I think, like, you look at the people who are legitimately struggling. I talked to a small business owner who said, I am looking at this program. This program will give me about two and a half months or two months of, of um, money to pay my employees. However, it is, not a, uh, it is not a grant unless I keep them employed for four months, what what's the difference here? How do I make up that difference? I can't pay them for four months because you've told me I'm not allowed to make any money. So uh, what am I supposed to do here? I'm already behind. I'm, I'm all my reserves are out the window. I've got a couple weeks left of cash. What am I supposed to do? And that is where like you're seeing this thing, I think, start to creep up now, Glenn, in the media where they're doing the same thing they did with the Tea Party. Which is talk about these um, oh, yeah. these protesters in this? Yep. They're all astroturfed. Here's the rich millionaire who also supports them. He's probably behind them too, and all of this stuff as if there's nobody in America who is feeling the pinch of an entire economy being shut down and now can't run their business, can't pay their bills, can't put food on the table. These people are begging to get back out there. And look, it, we may need to keep this closed down for a longer period of time, particularly in certain areas where it's really bad still to this day. The tri-state area is probably the top of that list uh, in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. But the bottom line is these people are real people who have real jobs and real families, and you're not letting them go to work to earn money to support their actual kids and, and spouses. That's a massive problem. I'm not surprised they're out there protesting. Would- would anyone, would anyone have compassion for Google or Apple coming with their hand out at this point? No. They've got cash. They're making money hand over fist. Listen to this. Brown University has $4 billion, $200 million in endowment. They just got almost $5 million from the United States government. Mm. Columbia has $10,950,000,000. They just got $12 million from the federal government. Cornell has an endowment of $7 billion. They just got $12 million. Dartmouth, $5.7 billion in their endowment. They just got $3.5 million. Harvard, $40 billion in their endowment. They just got $8.5 million. University of Pennsylvania, $14 billion in endowment. They just got almost $10 million. Princeton has $26 billion. They're getting $2.5 million from the United States. 
Yale University, $30 billion. Mm. They just got $7 million from you, the taxpayer. For what? None of these people ever pay taxes. They don't pay taxes. They don't play by the same rules. This is despicable what is happening. Donald Trump needs to hold these corporations and these kinds of institutions accountable. They should not get a single dime, period.